This episode has been brought to you in part by Canderell and Kingset Capital. Coming soon, affordable luxury condominium living at 908 St. Clair West. Nestled into a vibrant, one-of-a-kind neighborhood, 908 St. Clair West is a modern treasure, offering a sophisticated lifestyle inspired by St. Clair Village and prestigious Forest Hill. Register today at 908stclairwest.com. That's a clip of performer Ophira Kaloff on stage at a showcase by the Second City Comedy Troupe a couple of years ago. Kaloff was showing off her talent not only in musical comedy, but also her training as an opera singer. Her song was an ode to her motorized wheelchair. The 28-year-old actor, writer, and curator relies on the wheelchair to get around due to her complex physical disabilities. Kaloff will be speaking Monday night virtually for Kehilath Beth Israel Synagogue in Ottawa, that's her hometown, because February is Jewish Disability Awareness, Acceptance, and Inclusion Month across North America. Kaloff is a sought-after expert and advocate for more representation of people who are disabled in Canadian film, television, and theatre. And this winter, the CBC has partnered with her to help judge entries in a new fund that the broadcaster has just launched to mentor creatives who are disabled or deaf. A brand new national initiative um, to sort of create uh, development opportunities for for disabled writers across the country. Um, And I hope it's just the first of many. There's so many stories to tell, so many incredibly talented storytellers who just need to be given, you know, the space to tell the stories on their own terms. I'm Ellen Besner, and this is what Jewish Canada sounds like for Monday, February the 7th, 2022. Welcome to the CJN Daily, sponsored by Metropia. Ophira Kaloff is having a busy month. She's judging entries for that new CBC Access project after the submissions deadline closed last week. And she's picking out the films and setting up the program for the annual Real Abilities Film Festival, which is held each May in partnership with the Miles Nadal Jewish Community Centre in Toronto. She's also trying to get the arts world to make room at the table and in auditions and on film, not only for Black, Indigenous, Latinx, Asian and South Asian visible minorities, but also for creatives who are disabled. She's named her consulting company Crip the Script. And coming up, she'll be here to explain why she purposely chose to use that word, plus how Jewish institutions like synagogues should become more aware of what Jewish people who are disabled face when they want to participate fully in community life. But first, here's what's making news elsewhere in Canada right now. I'm George Blumen in Vancouver, and this is what Jewish Canada sounds like. In the wake of the Freedom Convoy protests across Canada, two important pieces of legislation are coming to the House of Commons that you should know about. Last week, an NDP member of Parliament from B.C., Peter Julian, put forward a private member's bill that would make it illegal to display and sell swastikas as well as Ku Klux Klan and Confederate symbols. A prison term of two years would be the penalty if the suspect is 
convicted. Meanwhile, a second bill is on its way. Again, it's a private member's bill. This time, it'll be introduced by the federal conservatives. The final draft hasn't been tabled yet, but sources say it'll be this week, and it would ban Holocaust denial in Canada and other important anti-Semitism measures. A Saskatoon MP, Kevin Waugh, put the notice of motion out last week that the bill is coming. CJ says they've been waiting for this for a long time. By the way, Waugh was one of the Conservatives who came out in support of the truckers' protest, and he met with them, but he has attended Holocaust Remembrance Day services for years. Ophira Kaloff joins me now from Toronto. Thank you so much for having me. Well, it's really nice to meet you, and I should tell our listeners that my mother and your grandmother are old friends from <laughs> since, since Ottawa. So we did not know that until just now. So that's very exciting. <laughs> <laughs> we have to do the Jewish geography. <laughs> we totally do. Well, I'm going to start right now because I read that uh, back in Ottawa, when you were at Maryvale High School, you were up for an award for the best actress, lead actress in a, a musical for um, a play. And it was called The Cappies. Is that these kind of like Oscars of Ottawa High School? <laughs> Thing? What is that? <laughs> that is exactly what it is. And you go for awards and there's a whole ceremony at the NAC. It was it was very exciting. Did you win? I did not win. It was my, you know, teenage heartbreak. Um, you know, must persevere. What grade were you in when you did that? Great. It was June 2010. So yeah, I was in grade 11 and uh the character that I got to play was an unconventional princess who just uh, was a little bit of a mess, which suited me perfectly. And were you in a wheelchair in grade 11 or was this something that happened after? So I didn't use a wheelchair at that time. Um, At the time, I didn't really identify as disabled. I just had a couple of health things going on. And my wheelchair that I use now became uh, part of my life starting around 2013-ish, in and out. I I like to keep things interesting in between a wheelchair, a walker, nothing. uh, It fluctuates. Peter Dinklage, who is the star of Game of Thrones, has brought up a topic which has been in the news lately, which is he's very upset about Disney, right? You know about this, right? We're making a live action movie about Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs. And he was upset about casting dwarf actors. Um, And then there was backlash, right? What what was the backlash? Are you following this story? Yes. Yeah, it's been been very interesting to see. Um, Peter Dinklage kind of made... Uh, made this comment and expressed his frustration with the fact that in some ways, you know, Disney is sort of putting forward this really progressive uh, sort of idea and perspective and seems to be trying to, to listen to a lot of different communities. But when it comes to disability and specifically in this case, little people, Disney is kind of putting out a storyline that has seven characters that have really sort of reductive tropes that have been really harmful to the community over time. And, you know, he expressed frustration that it was happening. And the conversation that's come out of it has been really, really fascinating. Um, This question of what is positive for the community as a whole? What are opportunities for individuals who have been fighting so hard to get some screen time? Uh, When 
in my opinion, ideally, uh, if there were just a lot more roles uh, out there that weren't built off of stereotypes, then uh, there wouldn't there wouldn't be this tension, right? People would be able to have thriving careers and feel like the community was well represented. Well, let's talk about that a bit and let's um, let's break it down. How does the entertainment business navigate this kind of balance that they're trying to be representative versus making money on entertainment without having to also deal with cancel culture, which is kind of what's this is the whole new climate. You know, how do you see it? It's it's tricky um, and it's interesting because I think the conversation about disability in particular is very new within the entertainment industry. Um, If you look back over movies in the past, there's been a lot of storylines that feature sort of a a disabled character, but they're pretty much never played by a disabled actor. And they're almost, I would say like 99.9% of the time, not written by a disabled writer as well. And more recently, the community has come forward and said like, hey, we are also interested in telling stories and acting and also, you know, putting putting a narrative forward that's maybe a bit more authentic uh, to what the actual experience of being disabled is. Um, but there's a lot of there's a lot of pushback, a lot of tension. Um, and yeah, it's something that I grapple with with it in my own career. I act and I write and um, sometimes they come in as a story consultant to people. And for some reason, uh, there's very much this idea that disability is, is different and that disabled people aren't necessarily equipped to act uh, at the scale that non-disabled people are. Specifically, what does it look like to face some of these barriers? I mean, a very sort of nuts and bolts experience is when I have gotten calls for auditions before and I send an email to the casting agency double checking if the room that I'm supposed to go to is accessible and I find out that there's no elevator. So in that specific case, I can't even get into the room to audition, never mind the idea of what the experience would be like if I was cast, what the experience on set would be. Um, There's a lot of sort of putting people in boxes. And I think that this is internationally. Um, For me, I wear a neck brace and I use a power wheelchair. I'm probably only going to be cast as a person who wears a neck brace and uses a power wheelchair. Well, that kind of leads us into your your Crypt the Script work and, and, and advocacy. How did you come up with the title for that? So Crypt is a term that's that's been reclaimed a fair bit from by the disability community. And so the idea of cripping the script um, kind of comes about in thinking through what are all of the ways in which sort of disability culture and disability-centered practices can enhance art, you know, enhance our stories, the way we tell them. Um, How can I structure my shows in ways that sort of embrace an audience to feel comfortable, even if they aren't traditionally comfortable in a theater space? And when I share content, how can I kind of take that idea of disability stories existing through an able-bodied lens and kind of take back the scripts 
crip it and center my own experience as a disabled person within that story. So let's talk about this Jewish angle. What do Jewish people not know about being disabled? I think the big idea is that uh, disability, the idea that disability or chronic illness is just, can just be a thing. Um, I think that there's a great understanding and awareness, at least within the Jewish community that I grew up with, that people can get sick and a huge well of support kind of comes forward with that. I've had those experiences within my family. Someone's hospitalized, something happens and the casseroles start piling up on the front door. And, you know, the community really comes out and supports. We have within shul systems and Misha Barach and, you know, a whole, a whole system to support in crisis mode. So I think the idea that you know, illness and disability, they're not necessarily temporary things to be overcome. Sometimes they just become part of life. And, you know, a, for me, I don't want to be seen as someone that the community takes care of, as someone sort of outside of the community to, you know, be, be an object of sadaka. I want to be part of the community in, in all of in all of the ways, right? I want to both receive care and give care and uh, and feel that vibrancy. So I think that's one thing. Um, another thing is that sometimes these experiences are invisible. Um, I know for me, when before I had a wheelchair and would go about in the community, I would feel so embarrassed if I was at shul and the ark opened and everyone was standing and I couldn't stand, but nobody knew why I couldn't stand. And I'd sort of feel that, that sense that I was being disrespectful. And so I think sort of a, um, an idea that, you know, we don't necessarily, we don't necessarily always know um, what's going on and finding that, that sort of flexibility and openness. So moving from there in the history, you know, how do you feel about the attention that is given through Jewish Disability Month um, once a year? Sort of like Black History yeah. Month once a year. Yeah, I mean, this is this is very much a thing, right? It's it's the balance of it's great. It's great to have like a specific space and time where there's a spotlight and these conversations happen and it's hopeful. But also, you know, I'm disabled 360 days of the year. And so when it sort of gets put into a category, it brings up the question of, okay, what happens the rest of the year? Um I'm hopeful that every year more conversations are brought up that will and hopefully are starting to carry forward. Um, but, but yeah, it's it's definitely a complicated thing. And that's what Jewish Canada sounds like for this episode of the CJN Daily, sponsored by Metropia. Integrity, community, quality, and customer care. Today's listener shout-out goes to Daniel Minden in Ottawa. He's a staffer on Parliament Hill with the Minister of National Defence. And we'll end today's episode with a reminder to join the CJN Circle for $64 a year. You can sign up at the cjn.ca slash circle and support this show and Jewish journalism. Plus, a snippet from an amazing chat that I heard Sunday between British writer David Badil, who wrote Jews Don't Count, and he's the guy you've probably seen on social media since the whole Whoopi Goldberg Holocaust controversy, and with Dara Horn, the American author of the book People Love Dead Jews. The pair were the opening event at the Vancouver JCC Jewish Book Festival, and here they are discussing two key points. 
the, the Holocaust fatigue thing, I think, is very clear to me. And actually, I would say there's an element of that in the Whoopi Goldberg thing. Not from Whoopi Goldberg herself, necessarily, but some of the reaction that I've got uh, from talking about it is quite a lot about, essentially, just under the surface, yeah, but, you know, Jews, the Holocaust, enough already. Jews, the Holocaust, haven't Jews been hogging that atrocity spotlight a bit long? Blah, blah, blah. You hear that all the time. Yeah, I just want to say, I actually think there's a little bit more overlap in terms of the idea of erasure. Right, yeah. and the Jews, and exactly. yeah, the like actual living Jews are like erased, and not, and, and are really that there are specific ways in which actual Jews are allowed to participate in this public conversation, and they're extremely yeah. limited, and also the gaslighting around that problem, yeah. Um, yeah. where like as Jews, you're not allowed to talk about this, right? And you're, and they're sort of, you know, that that framing that like your identity is being imposed from the outside is something I think that is very common. Mm-hmm.